Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Great American Senior Show. I'm your gray-haired host, Sam Yates, and today we're going to talk about something that you can take to the bank. Well, let me rephrase that a little bit. When I say rephrase and bank, there's some key words there. When I am listening to podcasts, and I listen to podcasts uh, from all over the country, or I hear something from one of the the companies that would like uh, a guest to appear on my program, I listen very intensely to see if there is something that jumps out and would make our guest on the Great American Senior Show and the other podcasts that we do pay attention. And that phrase, bank on yourself, was something that caught my attention. So I have the expert to talk about that topic and a few other things with me today, Sari Ibrahim. Sari, welcome to the program. Before we get into banking on yourself, tell us about yourself. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here and speak to you in the audience today. So a little bit about me. I, I'm from Chicago, Illinois, born and raised here. And I run a company called Financial Asset Protection. So we're a full service financial services firm. We help clients in all 50 states. We even do some international things with financial planning. We, we try to take the role more as like a financial coach in, in that we work with clients of all backgrounds and try to help them reach their financial goals, whatever those goals might be. I've been in this um, in, the, in this in the industry for about seven years now and love it. I definitely see myself in this long term. And uh, we also have a podcast called Thinking Like a Bank. So the podcast, as you could probably tell from it, it's it's a financial podcast, a financial literacy podcast that shows people how to think like a bank. And that's kind of the, the brand we're trying to build is the Thinking Like a Bank brand and showing people how to not just think like retail consumers or, or retail investors, but to really take the, the thinking of, of a bank. And I think that is a, a concept that is uh, really coming to the forefront now, but it is a concept that also has been around a while. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been around actually probably for over 100 years. So it's something that we didn't invent this, right? This has been around for a really long time. It just became more popular recently with podcasting and books and Amazon and things like that, and information being um, more easily accessible nowadays. It's it's become more of a, a relevant topic. People usually know it as infinite banking or the bank on yourself concept. So yes. really, I would say the first introduction to it was in the book Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. So Nelson Nash wrote the book Becoming Your Own Banker, and he talks about the strategy of using. Uh, the vehicle we're going to talk about, um, as far as becoming your own source of financing, growing your business, investing in real estate, uh, kind of taking control of your financial world and not just leaving it up to the banks. And I think that is something that's going to really capture the the attention of our audience. So before I forget, how may people get in touch with you? Because they're going to be jotting down some notes. And if we don't let them know now, we might uh, we might lose them a little later on the program. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, easiest way, thinkinglikeabank.com, thinkinglikeabank.com. And being in Chicago, you're on central time, but they can reach out and schedule uh, an, a meeting or an appointment with you pretty much any time. Yeah, anytime they can reach out, schedule an appointment, they can send me an email, connect with me on LinkedIn. All of that is centered or through um, thinkinglikeabank.com. Who's your audience? When we talk about anything financial, no matter what you're doing, you have an audience. So who's your target audience? Yeah, target audience, good question. It's business owners and real estate investors. I guess every real estate investor is in essence a, a business owner as well. So looking for real estate uh, investors, business owners, and also full-time employees who want to 
venture off, they want to kind of create their own retirement plan, not just rely on their company 401k plan or their company 403b plan, but somebody who really wants to kind of step outside the parameters of the corporate life and really want to um, look at passive income and wealth accumulation outside of their job. As you say that, it sounds like you're also advocating that people don't necessarily go to the bank and get caught up in, I like to call it banking chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, banks, some, for the most part, tend to be helpful, right? It's convenient. You could go somewhere, put your money somewhere. And then when you want to access it, you could write a check. You can go there. You can withdraw money. It's convenient. I get it. But there are certain things that banks do that I'm not really, I don't really like. For example, you go to the bank, you deposit, let's just say $1,000 in a bank account, and then they turn around and then they loan that out to other people through credit cards and all types of interest loans, high interest loans, and you get nothing for usually checking accounts don't give you anything, right? And then even savings accounts are, you know, a fraction of a percent. I work with a lot of my a lot of my clients are Medicare beneficiaries. They have Medicare. And one of my clients is like 75 years old. And he told me, he's like, you know, he's like, the world's different now. He's like, when in 1980, I used to make 25% interest on on one of my CDs. And I'm like, yeah, that those those days don't exist, don't exist anymore. So there's been a lot of shifting as far as it's not. It's, it's almost like it's not. A, it's not fair. You know the the way we put money in the bank and then what banks do with the money. So I want to kind of revolutionize that change that in the sense where we could do a little bit more now. We'll still need banks, right? We'll still need banks to transfer money and use debit cards and credit cards and things like that. But as far as um, who, who where the interest goes. We, we should refunnel that back into our pocket. We become our own source of financing. We become our own bank, in essence. Yeah, and, and I'm glad that you uh, narrowed it down into the, the banking community. Don't get me started on the stocks and bonds traders that use your money and that where those, there's a, there's a whole different ballgame of where your money goes then and yeah, how it's yeah. being used before it is back uh, in your control. But when we talk about growing your assets, you know, I, I run into a lot of seniors that they're very tight-lipped about talking about their assets. Yeah. Is that something that you recommend that we we keep a tight lip on uh, what we are doing with our assets? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I think a lot of people are worried about people suing them, right? Um, yes. And people finding out the type of assets you own because a lot of people might have like investment properties or businesses or stocks or bonds or any type of asset, either tangible or, or financial or any type of asset. They, they'll usually have them in, if they've done a good asset protection plan in like LLCs and trusts and things like that, not necessarily in their name. So when they tell people what those trusts are called or what those LLCs are called, it kind of gives away, it kind of defeats the purpose of, uh, of doing that whole asset protection plan. And if your audience has done this already, reaching out to attorneys and do that, that do asset protection and estate planning, they're really expensive. Uh, they charge a lot of money because it's a very complex thing. It's a very labor-intensive thing to do. It requires a lot of hours of research. So it's also a very niche part of the law, right? It's not like any attorney down the street from you could just do all these types of things. It's it's, it's uh, like a specialist. So uh, when people invest in these, they kind of want to keep it that way so they don't defeat the purpose of telling people the names of their LLCs, the names of their trusts, and and, and things like that. So it's definitely an asset protection uh, mechanism for sure. And the reason I mention that is because I'm headquartered in Florida, uh -huh. but here in Florida, uh, we do have certain 
asset protections in place through our yeah. homestead exemptions and other uh, things that can happen. Your home can't be touched. Well, yeah. technically it can, but yeah. uh, those are some very important things that we see. And uh, I think an enormous amount of LLCs in Florida, perhaps as compared to other states, yeah. uh, it, probably for that very same reason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Florida, I think, is arguably the best state in the country as far as asset protection and the, the home, the homestead one being the best one. This is why you hear about celebrities who build $50 million mansions in Florida. It's it's entirely, for the most part, it's all protected. Uh, I'm not an attorney, so don't quote me on this, but it's, it's it, for the most part, it is uh, it's it, the best um, state for asset protection. Uh, pensions, annuities, cash value, whole life insurance, all these things are protected. In, in the state of Florida. And, and then also that's the reason why there's a lot of companies located in Florida. Mm-hmm. I think second to Florida maybe um, is Delaware, right? So De- Delaware Corporation is usually has a lot of high asset protection, but as far as real estate goes, and the reason why a lot of companies are located in Florida, other than the fact too, there's no state, I think there's no state income tax, right? In Florida, right. that also right. makes a big difference too. So one thing I've noticed when it comes to proper fi- financial planning and, and financial strategies is the connection between asset protection, taxes, and the ability to grow wealth regardless of the market. And so those kind of, all three of those things kind of intertwine together. So usually it's it's not like you take care of one only. It's usually like you're trying to take care of all those things. You're trying to mitigate taxes, protect your assets from creditors and other risks, and grow your money regardless of how the market does and not just have to rely on how the stock market does. When we think about growing our money, Uh, When we grow anything, it takes a tool or a set of tools. What are the tools that go into play with what you're talking about? What are your tools? Yeah, good question. Yeah, so there's a lot of tools, right? So like the people, the who is number one at the top of it. So like who you're working with, I'd want want up there um, a a CPA, right? An accountant. Uh, I'd want an attorney, maybe a few attorneys that specialize in different things. Like how we just talked about trusts and asset protection, and then as well as like corporate things, if you own businesses and you're selling businesses and things like that. And then also like a financial advisor, financial planner, or financial coach, somebody kind of um, stepping outside of what the accountant and the, what the lawyer are going to do. Because lawyers and accountants, for the most part, they might know everything about a retirement plan, but not necessarily how to recommend it to you. That's not necessarily their job. They know the technical parts of it, but as far as recommending it to you, it's kind of outside, usually outside of the scope, unless they have training in that area as well. So I'd want the who up there to be the top of it, right? And then after that, um, you know, there's all types of vehicles, right? Like one of the st- strategies we use, the bank on yourself strategy, that's a that's a tool we use uh, in that it uses cash value, whole life insurance to do a lot of things like protecting your assets and growing your money tax, tax-free tax in, so, in some situations. And I think that that's the, the way you position that question is really good because it's it, that's all it's about. It's about the tools, not, not necessarily what the product is called. I think a lot of people get caught up on that. Like, I don't want to do a whole life insurance because this person said whole life insurance is not good. Well, we're too caught up on the title of it. What we need to do is we need to understand the function of it. What does it do? What, well, how does it help you? How does it play out? So the the who and the tools you're using, absolutely. Along with the whole life insurance, we all, we, I would also highly recommend some real estate in their portfolio and understanding um, how real estate, both from the active inside, a- active investing side, as well as the, the passive investing side. And I can get into further than that if you'd like. Well, I think uh, one of the things to reflect on about real estate is right now, 
We have seen some significant pendulum swings yeah. in the world of real estate. Florida is somewhat uh, protected, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm speaking a little bit from a background of uh, being in many industries, including the building industry. Yeah. But uh, Florida's Florida is still doing well, but there are some areas, some states that that real estate market has absolutely uh, come around to bite them right in the wallet. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's right. So I think the biggest downfall to real estate recently over the last, I would say, three or four months in the end of 2022 has just been the interest rates have gone up dramatically. Uh, I bought a house um, last year. Our interest rates, like everybody else at that time, were low threes. Now I passed by a billboard on the highway. It was like 7.5%. So that big jump in, in, the, in the interest rates um, that could lead to an extra six hundred to you know eight hundred dollars a month in in principal and interest and interest payments only on on your on your house. So that's going to deter a lot of people from buying because it's it's too expensive to borrow money. Plus, even more importantly, a lot of people can't qualify now because as the interest rates go up, the bar is raised now to qualify. And a lot of people who buy houses are barely able to. They're coming up with the down payment. They're maximizing the down payment. They're maximizing the monthly payments. They're working with their lender to you know, pay off credit cards, refinance certain things to really get by. So when interest rates go up, it makes it even harder. But, but that's in the residential um, mortgage area. I still think there's a whole other world out there. And that's a commercial real estate. I think like, for example, multifamily housing, where you have like 100 unit buildings, 200 unit buildings. I think that there's been an increase in those types of properties because the demand for rent has gone up dramatically. Like you probably talked to a lot of people who can't even find a place to rent nowadays. Like when has that ever existed where you can't even find, like even if you wanted to rent somewhere, you can't even find that because of the demand for rentals going up. So from an investment standpoint, I think that still stands to be a good investment. Um, I wouldn't buy like, you know, residential to, to live in right now. It's probably not that best, the best time for that. But as far as investing into multifamily housing and, and other asset classes, if anything is 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 on the rise, even through a high interest environment. And I think even in, in your particular area, I can think back to the, uh, the days of the Cabrini Green redevelopment yeah. and some of the infield growth. Uh, one of my friends is uh, pretty high up in the, the Masonic Lodge there in Chicago. Yeah. And one of their greatest uh, decisions, and it was a grave decision, not just great, was where are we as Masons going to invest our money now that Chicago is seeing such uh, a massive amount of growth, in particular uh, that multifamily multifamily sector. So I think you're right on right on target. But a moment ago, you were talking about whether or not you should consider being active or passive in, yeah. in some of that respect. Explain a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people, when they think of real estate or they think of starting a business, they think of an active engagement, right? Like you're going to find the property, you're going to find, you're going to create the LLC, you're going to find the the contractors. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's obviously, that's obviously a very lucrative thing to do if you know what you're doing. But what about the people who don't have time for that? If you don't have time to go out, learn real estate, um, you can get into real estate from a passive perspective. This is where the only thing you're responsible for is your share of the of the fund or your share of your investment you get that you're going to allocate and then agreeing to the terms and conditions of that deal that's really all you have to do to be a passive investor you want to do research you want to consult with your attorney your accountant yeah. your financial advisor you want to make sure it's a good fit for you but really you're not responsible for anything in the day-to-day operations you're limited in the sense it's called also limited partner so you're limited in the sense of your liability and limited in the sense of the decisions you have to make you actually don't have to make any decisions at all for in the most part for, for the most part 
being a limited partner. And I think that's really important because we get caught up in this uh, world of you know entrepreneurship where we're trying to build businesses and invest money. Um, but we have to differentiate the active side from the passive side because what's the point of owning more businesses, owning more real estate, if you're just building up more, you're, you're taking up more of your time. It kind of defeats the purpose of uh, having a good standard of living, having a happy life. If you're constantly working, I think we need to transition, right? We need to take the money that we're making and from our previous days and then push that into vehicles and things that will pay us forward. That way we can sustain our living, our income, even increase our income to keep up with the standard of living, to keep up with inflation and taxes and things like that without having to put necessarily more hours and more time in. And that's usually done through vehicles, using vehicles, using real estate, using um, assets that pay, that, that cash flow that pay you. Um, so that's something I would kind of differentiate really is the difference between active investing and passive investing. And then even figure out a way to take from the active side because everybody has to work. You have to work for money, but you take from that and then you put it into passive things that'll pay forward. Or as, as some of my friends call it, mailbox money. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard, Sam, I've heard from so many people that they've made, you know, millions of dollars working um, in companies and running their own businesses, actively engaged, you know, working 60, 70 hours a week. And then they started doing some passive income and whether, whether it was writing a book or something, and then they literally get like a check in the mail for 10 or $15 a month for, for example. And they, that's when they feel the wealthiest. Not when they were making a million dollars a year before that, because they were actively engaged in that money. But when you're making money without working for it necessarily, it's a different feeling. It's a different type of money. And it's funny that you say it because that is my friends. Uh, you know, they, they they're making some money, but you know, I'm looking at it and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Why don't you get out there and uh, come work with me or something? We'll make some money." And like, "Oh no, I don't have to do anything to make this." So it's really that joy that they get of, "Hey, it's just coming on, coming on into my mailbox." So that's. Yeah. Uh, that's a nice feeling. What about our seniors? I, you you said that uh, you you have uh, some clients within that senior sector. Yes, they're living longer. How yes, does yes. that impact what you are advocating? And I guess I'm I'm going to back off and say you're not advocating uh, because that would be uh, offering decisions of you do mm -hmm. this or you can choose A or B. And and I from what I'm hearing, yours is not necessarily pick one of these, but this, or, and yes. it's a combination. A combination, exactly. It has to be a combination. It has to be different things. And you know, one thing I would look at is the risk of when you, when you live longer, it's good, right? From a health perspective, from a family perspective, but from a financial perspective, it's a risk. You know, This is where the, the terms annuity come, an annuity comes in, right? An annuity is insurance against living longer. So you, it's it's a there's a risk involved with living longer because the longer you live, the more you have to spend. What if you've I don't know what if you've you've budgeted your retirement to live until age 85, and here you are, you know, 90 years old. What happened in the last five years? You've had to deplete accounts. You've had to get support from family. What if you could hedge against that type of risk? And one of the ways to do so is through annuities. Now I'm not advocating annuities because you have to really understand them. There's there's um, certain they're very important. It's very important to understand how annuities work. But one of the advantages to it is you, you can set it up so that way you never run out of money. You know, you're always getting your monthly checks coming in. And then you can even set it up so that way it increases every year because of inflation. It's going to go up every year. And you can even set it up to the point where regardless of how long you live, you'll always see that increase. 
and then set it up so that way your spouse or your beneficiary will also see that increase too. They'll get like, it's like a pension where somebody's getting income, they pass away and it goes to the spouse and then the spouse keeps getting income. You can set it up, set it up that way. Social security in essence is an annuity. It's a national federal yes. annuity that Absolutely. everybody pays into it from your jobs, from social security taxes. It goes into an account. And then from that account, people, when they either 62 or 65 or 67, um, get back money from that. So in essence, it's it's an annuity. So you want your own annuity, right? Still, obviously, still going to get Social Security. You're still going to get. You might have a company pension plan, a 401k. I would also add in an annuity just to so you can always have that increase in income coming in, and you mitigate against the risk of living too long. Now that begs the question: as you're looking at doing something with funds and looking forward to a life at some point where you're not necessarily going to be working as actively, or or maybe you will, when should one start? Yeah, start. So there, I would, I would really, I would recommend never to defer it to the future, right? Um, whether you are 30 years old, it now is the time to do so. And whether you're seven years old, now is the time to do so. So really it's because there's so many different aspects to planning and 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 retirement planning and financial planning that each stage requires some sort of analysis right whether when you're 30 years old it's good because you have the next 40 years to work for you know for example if it's 70 you're good because you probably accumulated money during your life or some sort of asset even if you don't have that much liquidity that much cash somewhere or in cash flow you've probably accumulated assets in some sort of way so really i would i would i would do a plan as soon as possible i'd wo- i'd focus on the who's the accountant, the lawyer, the finance advisor, or anybody else who you look at as a, the, the who in your portfolio. A lot of, when you hear a lot about um, stories of entrepreneurs and uh, people who started a lot of great companies and you ask them, you know, wh- how did you do this? They would say the first step is they got the, the who involved. The, the, their, who, Robert Kiyosaki talks a lot about this in his book. You want to gather your team, you know, your team of professionals and you know, you could in, in, in the business world, you could be cheap with everything except for the professionals around you. You know, you want right. to invest <laughs> invest in those people. Right. So, um, so yeah, definitely, I would do it as soon as possible. Start working on your team, and then start looking into this. There's a lot to learn, right? There's a lot of self education involved, as you could tell. Like, po- listening to podcasts like this, listening to our podcast, reading books out there. There's a lot of content to consume about these strategies and 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 these things that are mentioned. I know that uh, we mentioned your contact information earlier mm-hmm. in the show, but I'm, I'm watching the clock and I, I know that I want to make sure yeah. we don't go t- uh, too much over what I, I like to budget for our listeners. Again, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so thinkinglikeabank.com, thinkinglikeabank.com. Before we wrap up, you you basically touched on taxes very briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about homestead in Florida not having, but the the taxing situation that uh, currently is uh, in a little bit of a flux or could be as we uh, go through different mm-hmm. political parties, how important is it that you plan around some of the taxation problems or opportunities? Yeah, 100. It's, it's definitely, it's something that should be on top of your list, right? I think that um, the, the tax code is designed to for you to understand it and for you to um replenish your money to invest in different places real estate is a big one um running businesses operating businesses the deductions depreciation on assets there it's already written out for people to use them 
And I think that, so, so number one, it's, it's meant for that. We're not trying to find loopholes and try to, you know, not pay taxes because we were trying to be sneaky. The, it's actually the opposite. It's true. The government writes these things, Congress, the IRS, they write these things so that way people could, entrepreneurs and real estate investors mostly, could understand how these work and then use them to their advantage. So it's, it makes a big deal if you understand these taxes. Taxes you could save, you know, in your life. I don't even know. Um, let's just say even if you, you, were, you were able to save 20% on taxes, I mean, that could, that could be millions for some people, you know, over their lifetime. If you consider year after year of paying taxes, it can mean the difference of having a proper tax in play. It could mean the difference of your children having their college education funded or not, or you having to pay extra for that. It can mean a difference, um, you know, building your, helping your church expand, um, leaving a legacy for your business, for your grandkids. I mean, it's, it's the, the minor things can make a huge difference, especially when you consider the time, the time value of money and had that money been invested somewhere and growing it rather than going to taxes. And again, it's, it's meant for that. Really, for proper tax planning, you need an attorney, a tax attorney, and you need a, a CPA or a, an enrolled agent um, to help you really kind of go through the different tax parts, the charitable parts, the deductions, the depreciation, to really figure out a way to keep as much money as you can within your estate, within your family, uh, over your life. But yeah, it makes a huge difference. It's 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 up there. It's the top two or three most important factors to your financial plan, the tax part. There were a lot of areas that we touched upon. There are still many that we did yep. not touch upon. So I have to ask the question. Can you come back for another appearance at some point in the near future? I'd love to, Sam. Yeah, I'd love to. Great. And ladies and gentlemen, I have to say that uh, you know, being in the, the broadcasting business, and I still consider myself uh, in the broadcasting business, uh, it is rare that you are able to, that I am able to sit down with someone and carry on a conversation and cover so much material that it's not a matter of extracting teeth or, or just uh, pulling the information out. Uh, I want to give you a compliment in front of the whole world that uh, you are a conversationalist and you know what the hell you're talking about. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We look forward to having you back again at some point in the future. In the meantime, I am Sam Yates, your gray-haired host of the Great American Senior Show. Have a great day, everybody.